What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Teddy Cahill to discuss the Indian system today. Teddy, uh, our Ohio native, has done the Indian system for many years now. Teddy, the Indians, just because they've been contending at the major league level, which is the goal, they have dealt away quite a few of their top prospects in recent years. Clint Frazier and Justice Sheffield two years ago. Last year, we saw them trade Francisco Mejia to the Padres for some much-needed bullpen help. Overall, when you just look at this system after all these trades and, and the talent subtractions, where does the Indian system stand for you right now? Yeah, I mean, I think when I got into doing this list this year, it was kind of like a, a new era of the Indians prospect list. No longer do we have Francisco Mejia. Um, you know, you mentioned several of the trades, but I mean, like there have been a lot of graduations too. I mean, Zimmer's graduated, Naquin has graduated, um, Eric Gonzalez now graduated and traded. Um, you know, so just several of these players that you're used to seeing in the top 10 really in the last two years have been moved out either because they're in a new system or because they're now uh, in the big leagues. And so it looks a lot different. And what that means is that the system skews really young. If you look at the top 10, that's not super apparent. But when you get the prospect handbook and you start flipping through and seeing where these guys spent 2018, uh, a lot of them aren't even in full season ball yet. Or if they're in full season ball, they're only in the Midwest League. So it's just a system that is um, very young. The next wave is just starting to build now. And what we've seen is that you know, players arrived in the wave was kind of disrupted because so many of them were traded. But that previous group has now moved out. And we now have a younger Indian system that is kind of resetting. And I know we have them lower in the prospect rankings. And I think that's really just kind of a reflection of the way our rankings work is that um, you know, we value systems that have either big league ready talent or at least talent in full season leagues. And I think the Indians in the next couple of years are going to you know, steadily climb as this group that's in Arizona and Mahoning Valley works its way up towards Cleveland. 
And again, we see teams, it's cyclical, farm system rankings go up or down. The Indians, the fact that it's fallen into maybe the back 10 of Major League Baseball, it's there for the right reasons, right? Again, you mentioned a lot of these guys are graduated and contributed to varying degrees. Mike Clevenger is another guy who graduated and has become a really important part of their present and future. Shane Bieber, absolutely. I mean, and, and we talk about how just how hard it is to compete and to have a good farm system. It's really, really, really hard, and there are very few teams that can pull it off. So, again, I, if you're an Indians fan, I wouldn't worry too much. And like you said, it's not like it's lower because it's empty. It's just far away talent. One guy who has been a constant in this system is Tristan McKenzie, with Francisco Mejia being traded. He moves up to number one. Was there any real debate that he was the number one prospect in the system? He did miss time with a forearm injury, but he pitched well at double A. Just take us through that process. Yeah, there was almost no process, uh, <laughs> to be perfectly frank. I mean, he's the only player in the top 100, the most recent 100 that uh, you guys put together. And uh, while I think Nolan Jones belongs in the 100, uh, the fact that he's not makes it pretty clear that Tristan is a, a clear number one. And even if Nolan were in the 100, uh, you know, he'd be in the 75 to 100 range at this point, probably. And, uh, you know, Tristan's in the top quarter, at worst, top half, um, you know, depending on, you know, personal preference, I suppose. And so, no, he's, he's the clear cut. He's the guy that's in the upper levels of the minors. If you look at the top 10, uh, which you can see at baseballamerica.com, I mean, the, it's him and Bobby Bradley are the only two, you know, upper level guys, the guys in AA and AAA. And, uh, so, I mean, that, I, that's what he has over Nolan Jones, a success in AA. Uh, and Nolan this year was just getting to high A. And, you know, Tristan's a guy that has had incredible success everywhere he goes in the minor leagues. And this year was, uh, you know, yes, he was banged up. And, uh, you know, they were very conservative with him this year and didn't really get him going and to, until, you know, a couple months into the season. And he wound up only throwing 90 innings. But... Everything he's done has shown that he can succeed, um, you know, and, and really dominate minor league hitters. The perennial question with him is, you know, adding strength, adding weight, holding velocity. What strides were made on that front this year, if any? Yeah, I don't think that there were a ton made. It's just more like, you know, he's not. The velo is about what it was before. Um, you know, he actually, you know, took a step back in terms of how many innings he threw because the injury but that's not related to overuse or anything he is who he is and uh, I think we're there when when he was coming out of high school there were questions from scouts about could he ever put weight on his frame and a lot of scouts felt like no he's not it's not actually projectable that that frame just won't he'll never get that bulked up and uh, here we are a few years later and that's looking like that was correct that the, the guys that were saying that then they were right, but that it doesn't matter. And so I, I think at this point, we kind of just have to get used to the idea that at least when he breaks into the big leagues, he's going to be rail thin. Uh, but you see guys that have success like that. And, uh, you know, Chris Sale is obviously the, the big one. And yes, he's left-handed, but, um, you know, they're, they're actually of similar builds. And especially with McKenzie, you mentioned he's been successful everywhere he's been. It's still a fastball. He can get up into the mid-90s. There's still a, a true plus curveball there. It's not like he's one of these guys who's skinny and the stuff isn't there yet. The stuff is there, and if he can add a little more, awesome. But even if he doesn't, there's still a good pitcher here. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to like light it up at 96 necessarily, but he gets crazy extension 
it, you know, it's it's really premier extension on the fastball. He has four really good pitches that uh, you know he has good feel for, and and he has always controlled the ball well. He's always thrown a lot of strikes, and uh, you know, yeah, there's not a whole lot he can't do, and you know, it, it's it's a different look. I, I get that you know he looks not he is not the prototypical right-handed pitcher that you would rank at the top of of prospects lists or expect to see in the top 20, 25 prospects in all of baseball. But the results say that he's really good, and, and there's a lot of stuff behind that that show why he is good, despite maybe not having the plus-plus fastball. I think there's no question he's, uh, you know, he was ranked number 33 uh, in baseball coming into this season. Uh, I believe he climbed a little bit with some graduations. I would firmly expect him to be in that same range of prospect, you know, 20 to 30, and certainly no lower than 35 when, when it comes time to put together the top 100. Uh, you made it clear that Nolan Jones was your number two in this system with a, a pretty clear-cut delineation. Nolan Jones continues to hit, continues to get on base, but I want to focus with you on his defense. We talked about it on last year's podcast that, just to be frank, his defense was disastrous last season at Mahoning Valley. This year, he moved up to the A-ball levels, and it was better. Obviously, the error number is higher, but he also played twice as many games. The fielding percentage went up a little bit. What sense did you get this year on some of the strides he made defensively? Because sticking at third base is going to be important for him long term. I actually don't think it's important. I think that he hits enough that if you put him in left field, that it he'll profile just fine there. Now, obviously, he's a better player if you have a third baseman than if you have a left fielder. Life is easier for him, but I really don't think it matters where he goes, and frankly, that's why he's the clear-cut, too, because that's how good of a hitter he is. But to answer the defensive questions, um, he still needs work. And, you know, you had a guy that was, you know, pretty far down the scale defensively, like you said, and yet when you make improvements on that, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to see when you go from from really low to just below average or whatever. But that, that seems to be what, ha- what is happening uh, with Nolan. He's got the arm strength. Um, he, he just kind of needs some, some work on the infield actions especially. Uh, his hands are okay. I think it's really just a matter of getting a little more comfortable at third base or you know, figuring out how to, how to do the, the footwork and make all the turns uh, at the way you need to make them at a, at a high, high level. And um, we'll see if that comes together for him. But the trajectory of his hitting is maybe going to make this problematic, that his bat may be starting to be so far ahead of the glove or, or is pushing him too fast that he maybe needs more time to work on his defense, but they need to challenge him offensively at the same time. And so balancing those two things are going to be interesting. But the other reality of all of this is that Jose Ramirez has third base pretty well handled in Cleveland. So um, you can look at that one of two ways. And yes, I know they can move Ramirez to second base like they did when they got Josh Donaldson, but you can look at it one of two ways that either they can be, afford to be um, you know, conservative and slow Nolan Jones down, make sure he has the defensive chops before he gets there, or that it really doesn't matter if he's a third baseman or not because if he's going to play it in Cleveland, it, it's going to just be really hard to unseat Jose Ramirez no matter who you are. When you have a guy that is going to finish in the top three of the AL MVP voting, good luck unseating that guy no matter who we're talking about. <laughs> Correct. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you mentioned the bat being advanced as it is. 20 years old, went out, uh, you know, hit for average, got on base, hit for power. 
What kind of hitter long-term does he project to be? I mean, he can do pretty much whatever you want him to do with the bat, I think. Uh, the power really came around this year. Last year, uh, when he was in short season ball, that was much more of a like doubles power, still waiting for the home runs to come. Well, this year the home runs came. Um, and he's a, he's got a really good eye at the plate. There's, there's a little more swing and miss this year, I guess, as he faced some more advanced pitchers. But he still walks a ton. He gets on base a lot. He hits for power. I mean, you're, you're looking at a middle-of-the-order bat. Moving beyond the top two, which we've established a pretty clear cut, you start getting into some interesting debates. You have, you know, Bo Naylor, their first-round pick this year, George Valera, one of the top international prospects, Tyler Freeman, who is a, a very well-regarded player out of Southern California high school ranks and uh, hit really, really well this year. You even have guys like Brian Rocchio, our number one AZL prospect, how many guys were really in the conversation for this number three spot? Um, I, you know, you, the one you didn't mention is Sam Henches, and uh, that's a guy that's come on really strong this year. Big lefty, uh, you know, run, runs his fastball up into the mid nineties, and finally got healthy. Um, and I think that anyone that you that you see on our list from three to six um, could have been three. And I think after Henches at six, there's a delineation and. I mean, honestly, though, if you wanted to talk about Bobby Bradley at three or Brian Rocchio or uh, Ethan Hankins or uh, Luis Oviedo, they're all like they're the difference between three and ten even is not massive. So, you know, ultimately, we landed on Freeman. That's a guy that won the Penn League batting title this year as a 19 year old. Uh, there are some questions about whether he's a shortstop, but honestly, what he's doing offensively, even if he's a second baseman, it's a really, really good player. So he got the nod over Naylor and Valera, who are both still in the complex league. And Valera had a strange year in that he was hurt for the whole year. It's kind of just a lost couple months. The, what he did in extended spring training was spectacular, but then he wasn't really able to play in the AZL. So I, Freeman's a little, like he's a step ahead of those guys. And he's going to go to full season ball next year. And those two probably won't. They'll probably end up at Mahoney. So you know, that's kind of where that decision went. But you could make an argument for any of those guys for sure. You know, Bobby Bradley is someone who has been a fixture of the top 10 for a few years now. Uh, this year he dropped to seven. The overall numbers were, were not great. But as you've pointed out on a couple of occasions, it's really weighed down by a bad April. And then if you look at the rest of the season, it actually wasn't that far out of line with what he's done before. Uh, just overall, you know, he got to AAA last year. In your discussions with scouts, both inside and outside the organization, how ready is he to contribute to the Indians lineup next season? You know, I think, I mean, first of all, he's probably not going to because unless they move Encarnacion this winter, I don't know where you put him. They have Yonder Alonso and Edwin Encarnacion under contract for 2019. They both have 2020 options. And I think that's maybe where Bobby uh, comes into play. And I think some people, if you go back a year ago, maybe thought that, Bobby Bradley would have been arriving in 2019 and, um, you know, at some point, maybe in June, July, some point during the summer, he would have kind of forced his way up. But at this point, he didn't get to Columbus until partway through the summer. Uh, they held him in, in AA for a while, and part of that was the, the, the poor April needing to get confidence back, needing to show some things. Um, so I don't know that we really have a 2019 date on Bobby Bradley right now, just because of what happened a year ago? He needs time in AAA. Really, he's only spent six weeks there, I think, 
ultimately. And so 32 you, games. I mean, you need more time there at this point uh, to establish. He needs more time to establish himself there. Uh, and, and then the, also the, the roster reality, unless and Edwin Encarnacion were to be traded this winter, and there have been some rumors about the Indians might be, be, might be open to that. But until it happens, I don't know where he would fit on the current roster. With Bradley, and you're right, there's going to be obviously a bit of a roster crunch there, and it's not the worst thing in the world because we have seen big home runs, but a lot of big strikeouts. Um, he was making strides with that. If you look at his progression from high to double A, but it did go backwards last year. Um, even you know once he got out of April uh, and moved out to AAA eventually, the strikeout numbers were still pretty big there. Uh, 43 punchouts and 128 plate appearances, you know over 30%. What is the confidence level you sense from evaluators about how much he'll really be able to make contact against major league pitching to get to his power? Because it is tremendous power. I mean, I, the thing is, he doesn't have to make that much contact. Like, I, I think what you see is what you get. And we've been, this is this is Bobby Bradley. We have this conversation every winter. <laughs> and I just don't understand what people want to see from him. Every year, he is the most consistent power in the Indian system over the entire course of his professional career. He hits 20 home runs a year in the minors. And yes, it comes with more than 120 strikeouts a year, oftentimes closer to 150. I don't know. That's a big league player these days. Though. Well, I think the question becomes, does he hit those 20 home runs while hitting 220 or 250? Because I think that's where the difference is. I don't, I mean, that, that's the big leagues in 2018 and 19. You just, you, you take the home runs and don't worry about the average. He walks. Like, I, I, I understand the concerns, and there's a very real chance that it doesn't work out because he doesn't make enough contact. But the, I mean, he's a, he's a player that's a, essentially a three true outcomes player. And the, the line on those guys, it, it's very fine. But when they work, they work to a pretty high extent in the big leagues these days. So uh, does that mean Bobby Bradley is, is going to go out and, and, and be an all-star, which I guess is still his ceiling? I, you know, not necessarily, but I, I think that he has the tools necessary to become a productive big leaguer uh, and we aren't really going to know until he gets there. And I don't know that there's really anything he can do at this point to change any perceptions. I, th this player is who he has been throughout his career. And, and I mean, he's still only 22. Um, he's, he's a 2014 draft, so he feels like he's been around for a while, but he's 22, still got some time ahead. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, yes, he's only 22, but at the same time, also, he is 22 to think that he's going to radically change himself. In, I mean, maybe in the big leagues we see guys do that, but most guys probably aren't going to do that until they get there and fail. Ethan Hankins came in, took the last spot on your list. This was someone who going into the summer, I should say, you know, the summer showcase circuit heading into his senior year uh, was getting some buzz as a potential, you know, top five pick. Um, you know, we saw Hunter Green go number two overall, and... Uh, while the reports I was getting was that Green was better than Hankins, there were evaluators out there who thought that Hankins might be better than Green. Hankins has a shoulder injury, falls pretty far this year. The Indians picked him at 35th overall, which still a supplemental first rounder, but pretty far off that, that top five, top 10 range. People were talking about him earlier, uh, you know, around the summer showcase circuit. Just with Ethan Hankins and the shoulder injury, what were the initial, you know, reports you got on him and, and, and what he can do for Cleveland here, you know, both short-term and long-term? 
The Indians are pretty adamant that nothing is wrong with his shoulder at this point. That uh, you know he did have he was banged up in the spring, but that those issues are behind him. He did not. He made like I think it's two appearances, two pro appearances at the very end of the AZL. But that had more to do with how long it took him to sign, and that meant that he'd been off for like two months, and they wanted to build him up before they got him out there. Um, and all of that makes a lot of sense. But I think until we see him pitch for a full season, um, there are going to be there's going to be some skepticism just because of what happened this spring. But if he's right, and if they can get him back to what he was. Um, you know, in the fall of 2017, yeah, the fall, the fall of 2017, coming off of a very impressive showing over the summer and then with Team USA in the 18U World Cup where he was a, a part of a fantastic pitching staff that carried that team to, uh, to another gold medal. I mean, that's a really, really good pitcher. That's a guy that throws in the mid-90s. He's got some great secondary stuff. He throws a lot of strikes. I mean, there's a lot to work with there. It's just a matter of, him getting back to that level, and I mean, it's unfair to think that he'll do that until he goes through a real offseason and, and a real spring training and, uh, you know, is able to really get out there next next spring. But I, I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like. Um, I would guess he won't go to a full-season league, that he'll be in Mahoning Valley as well. So I'll be interested to hear what guys have to say uh, in extended and then what it looks like next summer when he's probably going to be pitching in the Penn League. Real quick, I did misspeak when I said a supplemental first round. He's yeah, the he 35th the overall pick, pick but it's still technically round, the yes. first round. He was the uh, compensation for Carlos Santana, but nonetheless an interesting arm. Overall, uh, one of the things that does stand out to me a little bit is uh, the Indians have had some real successes internationally recently. We start to see some of these guys get on here. You see a George Valera, you see a Luis Oviedo, you see a Brian Rocchio. Um, what's your overall sense on this upswell of international talent? Because for a long time, they, they really, really impressed in the, in the amateur draft. And now we're starting to see some international signings, you know, really come up strong. We mentioned Mejia, who was traded as well. Um, just what, what's your overall sense on, on that development within the Indian system? Yeah, I mean, that really started a couple of years ago, I guess. They overhauled the international um, part of their, their front office. And uh, they got, you know, I... It, it seems like they, they got a little more synergy in terms of what the draft guys, what the, the, the amateur scouting and local in, in terms of the, the U.S., what they're looking for and what the international guys are now looking for. And so they're kind of uh, a little more in concert now. And under Paul Gillespie, the, that international division has really started – uh, to do a lot of good work, and they're investing more money too. Is the other thing, and you know, part of that I think is the way the new CBA is structured, how uh, the money, the the international pools are divvied up, uh, makes it more po- easier maybe for Cleveland to sell uh, to ownership to to give them that money that they need, and then when they see it paying off on the field, uh, not only with guys moving up through the minors, but it, Jose Ramirez, uh, you know, that guy being out there in the big leagues probably helps. Uh, it's a really good example to point to. Absolutely. So we're, it's, it's going to be interesting to see because Valera is the big name now. Uh, he's been the big name, but Rocchio made his own name this year in, in his really professional debut. Uh, he's just 17, and he had a fantastic AZL, 
um, and you know Valera is going to get healthy and Oviedo's moving up and they have guys like Carlos Vargas uh, who I don't think a ton of people know yet and Aaron Bracco was another huge part of that uh, international class with Valera and Rocchio and he was hurt this summer too so you know as guys like that move up uh, it's going to become more obvious uh, that the Indians are making moves in the international market and that their group really knows what they're doing down there. You mentioned a couple of those guys who, who might be popping up. Within that context, you know, you have the top 10. How many of these guys were slam dunks in the top 10 and how many guys you know, were maybe in consideration to, to fill out the back? Uh, I mean, I think you can go a few more outside the, the top 10. I mean, we don't see uh, Uchain here, and he's having a really nice fall league right now, and he's been a guy that's been in the 10 a lot before, and Oscar Mercado was one of their big, um, well, he was one of the, uh, the, the trades they made at the deadline. Uh, you know, they sent, they got him from, from the Cardinals, and he could have made the 10 potentially, and um, they have a couple other guys that, that plausibly could have been in the mix, and it definitely wasn't a clear-cut 10 this year. And again, part of that goes back to the fact that this is really a new, like just a new era in terms of the Indians' top 10 that with the exception of McKenzie and Bobby Bradley, these are guys who are, for the most part, who have been acquired in just the last couple of years. And uh, so it just looks a lot different now. And uh, this, this 10 maybe is going to be what it looks like now going forward. But getting to that point, uh, was not easy, and there are guys that, that certainly are in the mix for that uh, you know, going forward. Absolutely. All right, Teddy. Well, thank you so much for uh, providing us with your uh, expert insight. We always appreciate it. And uh, we've got more prospect podcasts coming your way with the AL Central, Royals, White Sox, Twins, uh, Tigers. It's all coming up, so uh, make sure and keep it here on the podcast. For Teddy, I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, look forward to uh, having you check out more of our BA Prospect podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.